What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker. Thanks for listening to Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker. If you haven't already, please like, please subscribe, please share, please download. Please get the word out about our new podcast, Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker, because we're trying to get to that number one spot in the podcast game. Now, today I'm talking with Ice-T. Ice is a guy I've known for a long time, since the 90s when I got into writing. He's somebody that I've talked to many times on camera, off camera, spent some time with over the years, and have learned a lot from. As you'll see through this episode, you know, we talk about a lot of different things throughout his career and also what was going on with gangster rap. We talk about Tupac, we talk about Ice Cube, we talk about we're all in the same gang. So much stuff, man. And I think it's a really interesting episode. And I'm really glad that we were able to make it happen. Thank you to George Hinojosa for making sure it did happen. So without further ado, please check out Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker, the Ice-T interview, and hopefully we'll get Ice back again because I always have a great time. But for now, here's the first edition. Some of the biggest people in entertainment are gangster rappers, yourself, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, et cetera, Snoop, obviously. And you all happen to be gangster rappers. Why do you think gangster rappers have been able to become such huge brands and so successful for such a long time compared to so many other types of artists? Well, when I first started doing this stuff, it wasn't called gangster rap. Um, I call it reality rap. Um, just not creating a fake, a fake uh, character, just rapping about what I did on a daily basis in reality. Now, coming from my background, that background had gangster elements in it. You know, guns, drugs, things of that nature. And the, the term gangster rap came when Cube said, we're from a gang called Niggas With Attitudes. And that's when the press coined it gangster rap. Um, I think gangster rap, if you really want to figure out what, what, what it means, it's, it's any time you refer to guns, drugs, the police, maybe breaking the law or basically having an apolitical outlook, like it's my way and this is just how I see it. Why these particular artists tend to have good careers is back to what originally was called reality. I think it's because these artists seem to be more honest. They're telling the truth. They're, they're saying uh, unabashed how they feel about things and people gravitate toward that. Now, especially in a the hood or the ghetto communities, people, people admire strength over wealth. It's just, if you're strong, if you're willing to break the rules, if you're willing to say fuck them, then people dig that. So of course the gangster is the epitome of that. That's the person who says, hey, I'm gonna do it my way regardless. So there's a lot of admiration that goes along with that, even though whether, whether it be negative uh, image you're portraying or a positive image. Um, some rappers, you really couldn't tell what they stood for because they would sing about just abstract things. So it's hard to connect to them. 
You know, you say, I like your music, but I don't really know who you are. I think with a, somebody like myself or a Pac or a Scarface, you kind of at least get that feeling like, I know who you are. And I think that's what allows people to connect to us and give us a little more longevity. So with the reality rap or street rap or hardcore rap, whatever it was called before gangster rap, mm -hmm. once it became labeled by the media gangster rap, what impact do you think that that had on the genre? Um, I think it was okay. I think, you know, they needed a name. The funny thing was, okay, once they named it gangster rap, here it comes, they, so they go gangster rap. Okay, then I drop a record called Original Gangster. So I'm like, okay, well, if this is gangster rap, then I'm the original gangster. Okay, but then you had people that were gangster rappers that people wouldn't claim them as gangster rappers. It's like they wouldn't claim Tupac was a gangster rapper. They wouldn't, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Tupac, Biggie, Foxy Brown, Little Kim, Wu-Tang. Anytime you say you'll pick up a gun, you are a gangster rapper. You know, you don't have to act like you're from a gang, but you're handling things streetwise. To me, that all falls under the, 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 the umbrella of gangster rapping. Uh, now, out of New York, it took a while because they had, they had like a serious group called Mob Style which was Alpo and them and those cats, and they were actually in the business and stuff, and they were doing it. Then out came Mob Deep and groups like that who embodied the MOP, who embodied that whole gangster mentality. But uh, there's a lot of people that don't call themselves gangster rappers, but they are gangster rappers. Well, tied into that, Obviously, there's like Cool G Rap, Fat Joe. Cool G Rap's a gangster rapper. Fat Joe's a gangster. Listen, all these guys are gangster rappers, whether they want to call themselves. I think a lot of New Yorkers shied away from it because they thought the gangster rap was a West Coast term. But it's not. And I also remember reading an article back when this was after self-destruction had come out and was NWA was starting to really pick up momentum. And I rem I'll never forget it. I think it was in Spin, but it was like a lot of the rappers that I revered from New York, basically, if you had removed that it was them talking, you would have thought it was like clan members. Mm -hmm. were talking about gangster rappers, like they were using words like savages. And like, I was like, what is this? Who, who was saying that, New York rappers? Yeah, I mean, it was like the big dogs. <laughs> so my, my thing is, why do you think that the East Coast rappers were so much wanting to distance themselves from what was going on. Well, you have to deal with the waves of hip hop. So where you have the East Coast rappers who were a little bit different and they were rapping about house parties and stuff. And then also you gotta remember that the core of the East Coast rap, the Zulu Nation were actual ex-gang members. So New York was moving away from it. You know, they were trying to move away from it. So they were maybe in a sense of denial like, hey, you know, we're not trying to do this. We're doing something different. But then slowly but surely, you know, KRS and them came with criminal minded. And like I said, it started to merge. You started to see the more intensity uh, levels in New York hip hop start to show themselves. Like you saying with somebody like Cool G Rap. And, you know, all the way up to people like Jay-Z now who, you know, rock is in the building. There's, you know, the, 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 the you know, dope boys in the building and not. Everyone, they, they are, everyone's singing about it. So you can call it what you want, but 
these are certain things. Now, certain people have never been gangster rappers. I mean, Will Smith never gangster rap. You got, you know, and it was funny. It was once a, there was a situation recently where Drake made some gun references and Common was like, stay out of that lane. Like, that's not what you do. Don't come over into this lane with these guys that do it. Um, yeah, but even Drake's like, run up on me, you're going to see. He's quoting too short and rapping four tables. Well, that, yeah, that, because I think there's some, I guess there's some intrigue. There's some intrigue with being a tough guy. There's some intrigue with being, you know, that guy. You know, I think uh, you take somebody like MC Hammer, millions and millions of records sold, making more of a dance type hip hop. And uh, I, know t I know Hammer personally. Hammer ain't no punk. But at the same time, he wasn't a gangster rapper. But then out of nowhere, I f he starts doing videos with beanies on and stuff. So there's some, there's some pressure that comes to people to be gangster at some point. Now, don't ask me why I've never had that pressure applied on me because I've always had that edge from the jump. But I've seen people go through it and... Uh, I don't know. You're not street enough. You know, you're not edgy enough. I don't know. My, my whole angle always was, I'll be street, but I will always tell you the horrors that go along with this life. That was what I went out, set out to be unique. I wasn't just going to document the streets. I'm going to say, yeah, this looks very glamorous, but you can end up dead. Most, and most of my characters I did in my stories would end up dead or shot or something. Uh, well, that's one of the things that I thought that was interesting as I was thinking about the different questions, like even like um, Ed, you had on the OG about not drunk, driving drunk. So like you have all these different ways that you blended in the street. Yeah, parables, little stories that'll, you know, I did one about uh, the house, which was about child abuse. Um, my gangster was always a survivalist, you know, a hustler and a player who saw, who enjoyed the streets and enjoyed that life, but was always tormented with the, the fate of what was gonna happen to him. Fun in the beginning, but it's pain in the end. Because although I hadn't done the prison time, the horror was happening to me. I, even during my career, all my friends were getting snatched up, doing life, dying. So I consciously couldn't push it, you know, like, you know, I would be a real sucker if I told you that you're going to, like in, in, in Original Gangster, I said, that invincible shit don't work. I'll throw you in the joint. You'll be coming out feet first. It's, there is an extreme intrigue to this gangster lifestyle. And there is an extreme glamorous, the cars, the girls, but there's a very ugly B-side to it, which I, I had to tell. I had to express. Some rappers don't. That's their choice. And why was that important to you? Uh, maybe because I have a conscience. And uh, that became more and more uh, evident as more of my friends got life sentences. So I think early in my, my first album, I might have been thinking like that. But now as I'm starting to merge away and getting a better life, more of my friends that are still on that old road are getting hit.
blam, such and such, blams under them, he's dead. And so my friends that were in prison was like, man, don't send nobody here, Ice. I mean, let them know, let them know. So like I always explain my life, I'm like, if you think of a road that I'm running down and I'm a hustler and I'm a gangster player and I'm rolling down this road, but then when I get to the end of the road, I see a cliff. And my career was me turn around on that cliff, that road, running back up it, yelling at everybody, don't go that way. It looks good, but don't go that way. Um, and that's how I can sleep at night. You know, I can't, I can't really, I have a, a moral compass, I think everybody does. I have a moral compass, so I know, I know when I'm playing with something that could get somebody hurt, you know, so I don't want to do that. So that being said, uh, pre-six in the morning, <clears throat> uh, those records like <clears throat> Body Rock, et cetera, but then when you get to six in the morning and, and Ryan Payne's- Different. Well, see, when early records, Killers, Body Rock, all those things, that was just me trying to be a rapper. So whatever I'm doing in the street, I'm, I'm denying that. I'm not going to talk about that because I didn't know you could talk about that. So if you're out here committing crimes, then you're going to try to rap. It's got you like, you know, I'm rap, trying to rap about breakers. I'm trying to rap about rap shit because that was supposed to not ever been known. You know, I, I didn't come in. My, my early Ice-T stuff wasn't crime stuff. It was just basic raps. But then my friends were like, say that shit you be saying, you know. I, I, read a, I read a quote about Richard Branson, from Richard Branson, and he says uh, the best advice he ever got in his life was be yourself. And being yourself will be the best version of you ever. Well, I, I will say early, I was not totally honest in being myself. I was like, I, I, I looked at what Sugar Hill Gang was, and I said, I'm going to be a rapper. So let's rap about parties. Let's rap about breaking. And then my boys was like, nigga, rap about that shit you rap about. Because I was already making like crime rhymes for the gangs and crime rhymes and, you know, for the homies. But who would think anyone would buy that shit? You know, it was... So then they told me, and I, that's when I wrote Six in the Morning, which was a B-side about me running from the cops. And those, those songs, what I call faction, they're, they're factual situations put into a fictional story. So all the different things, Shiny Shine did have a blazer with a Louis interior. You know, we did get busted with a hand grenade. You know, all these different things happened at different times, but this all, I made it all happen at six in the morning. And, um, you know, I go to jail for seven years. No, I couldn't possibly have actually gone to jail seven years. So there's a lot of fiction and faction put in. When we, back in the days when you make a B-side, it was like you made a serious record. And then you just say, let's just fuck around. So the B-side uh, was six in the morning. And that record hit. And it was, it was fascinating to me. People liked that. And then uh, I, I played it to Fillmore and sold out a show. And then everybody was like, that's, that's what it is. And this is like six in the morning was a version, my version of kind of working off Schoolie D's PSK. But... I was like, yo, people, people want to hear this gangster shit. They want to hear it. 
And then that's when my music started to change. I started to go in that direction. And it was funny for me, because I'm like, oh, that's what they want? Well, I got tons of this shit. So I would have had, a, I would have been difficult for me to make dance records or try to deny who I was, but I just didn't know that that lifestyle could actually become a genre of music. And just writing stories about it and writing in that mental state would hit. Well, when we were at Jimmy Fallon, you told you were telling me that story about when you first heard PSK in Santa Monica. Yep. Well, P when I heard PSK, I was I was hustling, and we we were at a club in uh, Santa Monica. It was it was downstairs, and I uh, the record came on. It was a, it was the B. And at that time, everybody was yelling on records, you know. And then all of a sudden, Schoolie said, PSK, we making that green. People always say, what the hell does that mean? Peace for the people. The cadence was so different and stuff. So I was like, yo. So I went, the next day, I went after the record. I was like, I figured this, what the fuck was that record? I think I went to the DJ booth. They said, it's PSK, Schoolie D, what's Schoolie D? So we got, you know, we go to the record store, we end up getting the record, then I found out he had Gucci time. He had all kinds of good records. But uh, they said, PSK, that's Parkside Killers. So I'm like, oh, so this is like a little anthem for a gang, huh? OK, cool. So when, um, when I uh, made Six in the Morning, I was kind of like using a beat from Hold It Now, Hit It, the Beastie Boys, uh, that boom, 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 and also the break, like I go hit when I go uh uh didn't know it wanted, didn't have time to add. It's like a a, a how do you say it? Like a the break was unorthodox. That's how their break was. Hold it now, hit it, Leroy. Hey, well, I chill, bro. So it was like six in the morning. Was like then was bam, bam, bam. It just stopped the record. Then the record took back off. So you know when you, when you do records like these, you're being influenced by other records. But if you do it well, no one will ever know unless you tell them. You're like that record made me do this. That record made me make this. So it was like PSK and Little Beastie Boys, and uh, I just start telling this story and. Uh, I just made it more graphic, you know. The, the hardest part in PSK was says, uh, put my pistol up against his head, says, suck ass nigga, I should shoot you dead. That was like as rough as that record got. My shit starts right off running from the police and, 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 and beating girls and, and, and just wilding. So it was play by play in LA day. And uh, Cube later told me, he said, well, Boys in the Hood was really six in the morning part two. And um, it just started a whole trend. It, uh, it just made me know it was okay to write songs like that. Now, there's another unsung person that was part of this whole influence, which was Toddy T. And Toddy T was in LA, but he was doing parody records. He was listening to stuff like, he, like his records were the batter ram. Uh, the Clucks Come Out at Night. All these different records he would take, like the Freaks Come Out at Night and make a record about the, the crackheads. But Toddy wasn't, it was 
very urban street shit, but it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't gangster. It, it was gangster, but it wasn't, it was just more like an overview. And it also didn't sound, sonically it was like, yeah. More Houdini sounding than more PSK or something. Exactly. So, so, but Toddy was also somebody who was out there doing this, like, urban edge music. And at the same time in the Bay, Too Short was doing a very raw, X-rated, freaky tales type thing. So there was a lot of people that were pushing the line with the music at the same time. But then also uh, with Toddy T in particular, with Battle Ram, something that Schoolie did and that you did, Just Ice did, Boogie Down Productions did, is that you guys made it first person. And yes. I'm the one doing it. Toddy T was rapping, and even Melly Mel on the message, you, they were rapping about what they saw versus you guys said you were doing it. Well, also what we do with gangster rap is you change the opponent. So if you're rapping a battle rap, you're telling another rapper, you know, Blau, I can out-rap you, I can out-rap you. With gangster rap, what you do is the opponent is you. So I'm talking to the people right off the stage. I'm like, motherfucker, you could die. You could die. Anybody in this room can get it. I don't give a fuck who you are. So now you're taking, you're not talking to another rapper. You're talking to the listener which is totally different, you know, because most rappers, when Mo D's saying this, Mo Z is just saying, yo, if you're a rapper, I'm saying, you ain't even gotta rap, motherfucker. I, I'm telling you, this is who the fuck, what, how it's gonna happen. And that became a more visceral experience for the people that were listening. It's like, yo, this motherfucker just told me what, you know, so. And then a lot of rappers that were hardcore had problems performing. You know, what I always would do is I would always just make sure, you know, and right after I came on stage, I'd always take my glasses off and I'd pick the toughest looking fool in the audience out and I'd drill that shit right into his face like, yeah. And I, I would eye contact everybody I possibly could and say, yo, this is exactly how I feel. And it made the performance that much more riveting because it was, you know, even now when I listen to new rappers and they, they try to do hardcore rap or gangster rap, I'm like, I don't believe you. I really don't believe you. The words rhyme, but I don't believe you. you, you do you believe it? You're singing it, but do you believe it? Or do you really mean it? Or, you know, and, it, and if, if you don't, it doesn't come across like that. I couldn't get my records played a lot because I'm like, my records aren't more violent than other people. Says They say, nah, but you really sound like you'll do it. So it's a little more threatening. And when and why and how do you think that changed? Never changed for me. No, I mean, for the, in general, the general rappers. Because I think people thought Scooby D would pull a gun on them. They thought you were robbed. They thought um, UA wasn't a gang. I, I think that, well, one thing that changed was Cube and them did clean versions. And I was, at early, I wouldn't do a clean version. I was too, I guess, what do you, maybe I was stupid, but I was hard. I was like, fuck that. You know, I won't good, there's no, you can't find clean versions of my records. And that, that hurt me, you know. And WA kind of came out and they did clean versions and they got lots of record plays and stuff like that. Maybe their records were better, but I, I also know that I suffered because of me being, you know, I don't want my stuff edited. If the radio station wants to edit it, they can, but I'm not gonna, you know.
but you know when you when you're really on that when you're on it like that then that's how you feel about it at that moment you know like even this year like even on the new body count album I'm like I'm a, could you do radio edits I'm like nah y'all I let the label do it though the label was like we want to do them so we can get it to radio I'm like y'all do it I don't even want to be in the studio though it's like you butchering my shit you know but I understand that a little better now that I'm kind of hurting myself because the fans want to hear the records and there's just stupid rules and it's not the fans fault so why make the fans suffer because of the radio station rules so you know but I think anyone who makes art always has a problem with the edit well that also censorship of course is was a hallmark of your career for better and for worse so for you what um you were ahead of it also with early having the the sticker i was the first record ever sticker and um they came at me at warner brothers and they said hey they want to put this thing the pmrc how do you feel about it they didn't force it on me they just asked me and uh i was like cool because i never wanted to surprise anybody i'm not into false representation I want you to know that this is toxic shit and what and you can you know like I always looked at Stephen King when you saw the book and there's blood and the guts and you know on the front cover you how do you get mad when someone dies in the first chapter so my album covers had guns and women and stuff so it's sex why you see she's a sexy girl on the cover like was that a surprise so we made our first parental sticker it was an phallic symbol. It kind of looked like a bullet in a condom. And some people say, oh, it looks like a dick. And I'm like, okay, that's where your head is. Oh, it looks like a bullet. So we were still having fun with it. But free speech is a concept. It's not a reality. It's a concept, you know. As soon as someone else can hear what you're saying, you can be censored. Even if you're just a guy talking and you say a word I don't like, I, if I'm bigger than you, I can censor you. Hey, man, don't say that around me. You come home, you want to curse or yell, and your wife says, hey, the kids are here. You will be censored. Go, go in the middle of nowhere. As soon as someone else can hear you, and God forbid that person that can hear you is actually funding the transmission of your information, you will be you, you pretend In books, you have editors. They're censors, you know. It's, it's a great theory. So what I do is I don't censor myself. And if it gets censored down the road, I always said I'm going to make the album as hard as possible. And then we'll see when we hit the line, if someone has a problem with it. Uh, I do have a moral compass, but it's not like yours. I, I can do a record like here I go again like which is about serial killers and stuff but then I would never say that I would shoot or touch a kid you know I know I have where I my line is drawn where my line is drawn yeah so with the censorship especially on the iceberg album that was a big theme of that, mm-hmm. that project and what was going on in your career at the time uh so that being said what positive and negative looking back did that that period was that how did that positive and well everything I mean you know you're growing everything that happens when I first started rapping I didn't even know I was a gangster rapper I didn't know what I was but people started saying that's what 
you do that, do that, stay there. You know, oh man, you played yourself. That voice, that tone, that's your tone. Uh, I remember one night I, I went to a, a party, but I wasn't really prepared to perform. And I, I had on a leather trench coat and shit. And they asked me to come on stage. I ran on stage with my street clothes on. And I performed and Russell Simmons was there. He said, that's your look. He said, you're not hip hop, that's your look. The way you look, that's who you should look. So all these things are happening to me. You know, when I was in like breaking, I thought I had to have on a rap costume. You know, I, I, I was trying to be like what I thought rappers look like. Eventually people made the rapper look like me. Like, no, no, there is no image, just you or what we like. Um, I lost a question. You went, I went on another tangent. What did you say? I was say? saying the positive and negative. The positive and negative thing is you learn, like you, you, you find out there are limits to what you can say. You, you, you start off not thinking there are, and then you find out. I didn't know I was going to get in trouble for a cop killer. I didn't know. I thought, I thought that was okay. Um, you know, they had, they had rock groups called Millions of Dead Cops. Different people have been talking about cops, this, that, and the other. How would I know that there was limits? So sometimes you have to hit the walls to find out where the walls are. Um, that's why the album was called Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say. You have the right to say it, but you have to be prepared for the ramifications. Earlier, I didn't know that. I thought I could say anything, but no. If I say something that's anti-gay, well, I have to be prepared for the gay people to move on me. If I say something against women, don't get mad because women get mad. You know, you have to be, if I say something against the cops, don't get mad when the cops attack. So think, you know, like I say, you can't go home to your wife and say, I just fucked your sister, free speech. You know, you can't, it does, you have the right to say it, but you also have the right to, they have the right to be mad about it and come after your ass. So, you know, you got to think about it. Before, think before you speak. And that uh, also ties in specifically with Gangsta Rap. With the you know better than think before you speak? It, I quote Sun, Sun Tzu from um, Sun, uh, Art of War. Before you go to war, you must consider the expense. So always say, is this worth what I got to say worth the expense. Think about it. <laughs> okay, so then uh, on Squeeze the Trigger, that was uh, the first time that I remember hearing actual gangs and neighborhoods and everything mentioned on a record, mm -hmm. very specifically. So for you, what on that record in particular made you want to, you know, take uh, Urban Hood, whatever label, and mention the actual. Let's see. Squeeze the Trigger was just a record about me saying that the world's fucked up. And this is what I see. This is what, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, I'm not coming from the same place you're coming from, you know. So. It's funny when people quote lyrics and then I got to try to figure out the lyrics. You ever seen a rapper find his lyrics? It's like... Made me not a concert. 
murder intrigue. Somebody must bleed. Miami Vice is small time. LA's the big league from the rolling 60s to the Nickerson G, Pueblos, Grape Street. This is what I see. The jungles, the 30s, the VNG. Life in LA ain't no cup, cup of tea. I mean, it was just basically my life. I'm, I mean, these different sets is what I'm dealing with. So I'm like, even, and you know, when I said those on Squeeze the Trigger, people had no idea what I was talking about. LA people did, but people way over. When I say the jungle, the 30s, the VNGs, they're like, and still today, Somebody was asking me when I said uh, uh, bust uh, went through the ETGs. They were like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "That's the A-Trade Gangsters." So, just speaking in LA dialect, uh, how do you say it? Unapologetically, was putting gangster rap in motion. Just saying things that you knew no one would really understand but it was so hood. You know, I mean, even this fact when I come out and do an album called OG, who, what's it, OG, oh golly G, OG Wally, you know, OG, you know, what the fuck is, who makes a record called OG, you know? But that was a term that was embedded in LA gang culture. The originals, the original members of whatever set you're in, the first generation of that set would be considered the originals. And then also LA took, the, by the time I had used the word, they, they used OG for anything that was original. The OG Chuck Taylors, the OG 501 jeans, the OG, anything that was original, that OG Trey, them OG Dayton wires, the originals, not the new ones, the original ones. So I put that out there and that's, that's you know, Snoop continued to do it. All of the West Coast people, I mean, Mac-10 was heavy on L.A. slang. He put a lot in the game. And, of course, eight. All my, all my comrades, they, we found comfort in L.A. slang in the same way New Yorkers found comfort in their slang. And that, that gave us a special sound. But also, in particular, with you and with N.W.A. At, and even to a lesser degree, King T, like coming out and having videos that really wasn't color than a video. Mm -hmm. And that seems in retrospect to have been a very conscious decision. So, oh, absolutely. So why was it? Well, no, early when we were coming out, you wasn't claiming no set straight up. It was dangerous. You know, this is pre-92. The truce happened in 92. And no matter what anybody said, it took a lot of heat off of the streets. Before 92, it was all out gang war in LA. And, you know, Snoop wasn't really wearing all that blue. And I was, you know, I would wear red once, photo shoot, blue the next, red. People was always confused. Well, I used to see this, who's that? I think he's from this neighborhood. And I would move around LA so frequently and, and, and liquidly. I'm, I was over, I would be in Watts. Then I'd be in the Pueblos, then I'd be in the jungle, then I'd be in the Six O's, and I'd be in Harlem. I would move because I was hustling and playing and chasing women. So they was like, and I then you know, by that time I had a perm and I'm wearing Fila, and they they, they couldn't really put a, a you know a mark on me. They didn't know who I was. But once the truce happened in '92 people kind of put on the colors to kind of say it's okay to rep your set as long as we not banging on each other. 
you know, we, we, we kind of made that clear during the truce because I was involved in the truce over there with in, in Imperial Courts and the Bounty Hunters. And I did a, a video called God A Lot of Love right there in the, in the hood. But uh, it was important to let the gangs know you ain't got to stop being from your gang. We just need to stop banging. We got to stop killing each other. Your neighborhood and, and your pride for your neighborhood, there's nothing wrong with that. So in a way, that's even though the gangs are still wilding, that still carries on in L.A. today. You, you can go to those concerts and there'll be Crips and Bloods. And it's not that on-site shit that, that used to be where if you saw somebody, they would just take off on you. Uh, now there's predetermined beef. And now it's even inside the gangs, like the Crips are fighting the Crips and the blood. It's all set wars. So, uh, you know, I thought it was as after we did that and as L.A. started to develop, it just, I guess I'll say it just became safer to wear the colors. You know, when Suge and them had Death Row with all that red walking around, but then also had Snoop on the same label who were basically 20s Crips. That right there is a truce in itself. So times change. It made it a little bit more safe. It wasn't when I first started though. And do you remember <clears throat> like when DJ Quick he was the first one that I remember was like naming his streets and his affiliations like explicitly on a regular basis. It was at some point everybody was comfortable and you know in this in this LA thing, there's a lot of gang politics and stuff. More so for people that surround themselves in the gang. I never really did that. I never really put no gang on my back. It was like ISIS affiliate, he's connected to lots of sets. I didn't necessarily come out and say, I'm from one particular set. That always seemed a little dangerous to me. Always did. I mean, I, I, have, I have nothing but respect for the violence and, and capabilities of LA gangs because too many of my friends have died as a result of it. So it's nothing to play with. I don't understand why people want to come out here from other states and join gangs. And it's not a fashion statement. It's a deadly game. And why do you think that that seems to have become a, a trend? Or a very I think for the same way, like when we started the interview out, there's some, there's some type of uh, pride people take in being tough and being from some toughness. They want to be tough. And, you know, I mean, gang membership seems to be the toughest, you know. So when you're coming from Virginia, you're coming from somewhere out of town and you say, you know, I want to be, I'm part of a gang. You know, it seems cool. It seems cool. And the problem that they don't really understand is that you can't really be from an L.A. gang when you're 25 or 27. You get in a gang when you're 15. And you and that, your friends, you might have, me and you might have been in a murder together. We know things about each other. So we got a blood oath or oath for life. Here I come along. I'm late. You know, I got a lot of money and I want to be in a gang. Sure, we'll put you in the set. But you ain't in the set. You know, you just, you just kind of like... It probably extorting you and everything else. It's like it's not safe. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you if you really want a gang, just hire a, a, a 
a gangbanger bodyguard if that's what you want. But but jumping into a gang, it's, it's it's hustling backwards, and you know, you don't get any stripes from that. Not from no real L.A. cats. You might get some stripes from people all over. No, I don't think anyone thinks it's smart. I really don't. I don't know what would make you think it's something smart to do. So all that, <laughs> all that to be said, there's um throughout. Uh, your music, and then obviously there's self-destruction, uh, and we're on the same. Gang. Yeah. So with we're on the same gang in particular. Did you see that that song make an impact? Did it not make an impact? Yeah. Like what yeah, I think all in the same gang and self-destruction made an impact, if for nothing else, to show that all the rappers on the West Coast were together and could be on the same track and were united, not beefing and fighting with each other. Anytime you show a show of uh, solidarity, it's good, you know? So when you saw all the East Coast rappers together, it's a good vibe. Now, as far as changing things, uh, it's an effort. All you can do is try to make an effort. You know, someone who's hardcore, locked off into the set and banging, you know, they ain't, you ain't moving them. But you might catch a kid before he goes in and make, make him think that it's not that cool. I mean, you have to make the effort. You have to just be applauded for the effort. And the cold thing about Same Gang, that was all spearheaded by Michael Conception, who, you know, was out in the streets on the gang tip. And, it, you know, for him to be like, look, I want to do something to slow it down, that's very admirable. That's, 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 that's a great thing. So, you know, can somebody do something and stop it? No, because it doesn't have anything to do with music when it starts. It starts from another whole entire condition. So to think music can stop. If music started the gangbanging, maybe it could stop it, but that's not what started it. It starts from some other previous condition that, you know, neighborhood peer pressure and uh, just hood politics, you know. The best way to get out of a gang is to move away. Just move from that area. If you can move, you don't have to be in the gang. But that's what it is. Poverty doesn't allow you to move. I mean, we're up here in Beverly Hills right now. You ain't got to be no gang up here. Why? What, to go to Rouse? <laughs> you know, but when you live in a project with 500, 800, you know, young men, there's going to be politics. You have to deal with them every day. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's how it is. I was not, I was just a, 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 an artist on that. It wasn't my project. Uh, I got the call from Mike. I've been knowing Michael Conception since he could walk back in the day, you know? So me and him have been friends. And Mike was like, yo, we do this. I'm like, done deal. And I just showed up, you know, made the track. I don't know why Q wasn't on it. I mean, Easy was on it, right? Well, then probably had to do with some popular inner, inner beef that they was dealing with. See, the thing of it is, is L.A. rap is made up of three trees, very small trees. It's N.W.A. and everybody they became, meaning whether it's Mac-10 and Snoop Dogg and all, all the different groups that came from that, the syndicate, all the groups I had, and then Delicious Vinyl. Everybody else, there's no word anybody else. We hit, we compass all those groups. I had mugs from 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 Cypress was part of Aladdin, and so 
once NWA and them had their little situation, we all stepped back. That was a family feud. No one, it's nobody's business, you know. Me, Ren, Cube, all of us, we used to tour together, so we were all friends. But how do I get involved in a, a family dispute? So I, that's all I can expect probably, you know, at that time. I don't even know, but maybe at that time, him and Easy was beefing. Okay. And as far as your music, um, I wanted to get in, like, taking us back to when you were signing mm -hmm. with Sire, because at that point... Curtis Blow obviously was on Mercury, but mm -hmm. it was still rare for a rapper to be on a major label. Right. So for you, uh, looking back and now being so successful and done all these big deals and different things, mm -hmm. what do you remember about that time that was either like, you know, innocent or strange looking back or noteworthy about the process? I got signed on a, I got signed on a luck. I, I, I did not get signed because I was hot or spec. It was just luck. Um, I had started making records. I had already met my manager, but we would, we was, we didn't have any record deals. And I started making independent records just to get a buzz. And I was working with this guy, unknown DJ, and I made. That's why I made six in the morning. So I met Africa Islam at a club called The Radio. And I wanted my record to be played in New York. Um, to me, unless I had a record in New York hidden, I wasn't a rapper. I wasn't on this West Coast shit because we were, I was the first person, so I was like, yo, you know, it's New York. I was, there was no West Coast scene. So I'm like, New York has to co-sign me. So I'm calling Iz and I say, Iz, man, I need you to get my record around. He was like, you have to come out here and meet the DJs. If I hand them a record, it's going to go in their crate. If you come, they might spin it. And he said, the record's dope. Mel likes it, da-da-da. So I, I got a cheap ticket. I flew to South Bronx. And Islam personally introduced me to everybody. I met Scott LaRock. George already knew Scott LaRock. But I met Scott LaRock. I met Red Alert. I met... Uh, Chuck, chill out. I mean, is Africa Islam was like a, a super powerful DJ out there. So I met all the tops, and they started spinning my record. My record was playing in Latin Quarter. It was playing at Union Square. Um, they never played no West Coast shit out there. They was playing my shit. So I was feeling real good about myself. And uh, there was a guy named Ralph Cooper, who was connected to the Apollo, and he had. A, a relationship with Seymour Stein and he said he pushed a compilation album at Seymour Stein a hip-hop compilation which was myself a guy named Bronx Style Bob Donald D from the B-Boys Melly Mel and Grandmaster Cass Seymour was about to do the compilation but Mel was still signed to Sugar Hill uh, Cass was signed to Tough City Donald was signed to Ventertainment. Bob had never put out a record, which left me. And I was the only one that had ever put out any music. And Seymour Stein, just not knowing, said, oh, why don't we just do Ice-T? That's how it happened. True story. And I was like, 
you want to give me an album? I mean, he was so unknowledgeable about hip hop, he didn't know that you weren't supposed to be able to rap if you're from the West Coast. And he heard it. So he told, he, I go to have the meeting with him, and he told me I sound like Bob Dylan. I knew Bob Dylan was. I'm like, okay, subterranean homesick beauty. Then this guy's like gay, and he's dancing around in socks. I'm like, yo. Then he looks into me, he goes, Ice-T, you have such incredible eyes. I'm like, holy shit. Then he starts playing me Calypso music. And he says, do you understand what this is? And I'm like, uh, he said, well, they're singing about the issues in Trinidad. He says, uh, just because you don't understand it doesn't make it invalid. It just means you don't understand it. Just like I may not understand everything you're saying doesn't make it invalid. This means I don't understand it. You remind me of Bob Dylan. I want to give you a record deal. So I was like, and uh, he gave me like $40,000, no video to make an album. Uh, now, t on today's standards, that sounds like chump change, but when you're, you've been making your records with, you know, $800, you know, master mixing and putting out a piece of wax, 40,000 was like, yeah, we go into town. And so I made Rhyme Pays, no video, album went gold. And it was, the beauty of it was being signed to Sire, they were a rock label and they just didn't understand hip hop enough to A&R it. I remember when I first turned the record and I had a record song that said, uh, called uh, I Love the Ladies and it says, guys grab a girl, girls grab a guy. If a guy wants a guy, please take it outside. And then Seymour says, well, Ice, what is this song? And I was like, well, look, Seymour, I'm like, I'm not gay bashing or anything. I'm just saying I'm straight and I don't want to see it. And he was like, I said, Seymour, if someone can say they're gay on a record, can I say I'm straight? And then he was like, yeah, but there's, there's, there's so much aggression in this record. I'm like, does your daughter like it? Now, this is also new for me. This is a gay man with a family, right? So I, I'm, 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 this is lots of new things for me coming out the hoods. I'm like, okay, cool, got a daughter. I said, do your daughter like it? He goes, yes. And uh, I said, that tension you're feeling, Seymour, maybe that's money. And he hung up the phone. And it was. Sometimes when you feel uneasy about something, that's money. You know, it's that weird zone of uncertainty. And uh, it was all because it was new. And the word new means it never happened before. You know, uh, People love to throw the word around, but that's what it means. Never happened, it's never been done before. So this was something new. And um, Becker did well. I started off in the black at Warner Brothers and I never turned back. I kept, all my records were in the black. But like I mentioned uh, earlier, like <clears throat> with Make It Funky, All of Ladies, Sex, and then there's, you know, Squeeze the Trigger, Pain, Kiss in the Morning. When you go into power, it seemed like to me, from a record, conceptually, everything, it seemed much more focused as far as... Well, one thing, one thing about me is that, you know, whether, whatever people want to consider me, I always consider myself, I want to stay well-rounded. So I could do the gangster stuff, but I love to do the sex stuff. 
I like to do the political stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I never really wanted to just be one-dimensional uh, because I'm not. You know, I mean, if you hang around me in real life, we could sit up here and talk about sports, video games, girls. Then we could talk about some real street shit. Then we could talk about politics. It's all going to happen. So once again, trying to remain myself and keeping the best version of me forward meant I had to make lots of rounded records. So I think every album I became more focused. Power was me realizing people are listening. You gotta remember, I'm coming from no records to a $40,000 budget to half a million, 800,000 people listening to me. I'm shocked. I'm like, yo, I got power, you know? And every record, I, I, power, I just opened my mouth and I was saying shit and then motherfuckers censored me. You know, shit's got, that next album is freedom of speech, just watch what you say. So as I'm learning and as I'm, I'm going through these, these uh, records, I'm, I, I'm, I'm growing and I'm, I am hopefully becoming more focused. But did you feel, because uh, like I love ladies and sex versus let's get buck naked and fuck is much more exclusive and like, Stuff did you find that you were feeling more like willing to push that line to find the walls, or were you just growing or just? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think it was anything. It was just, just no, okay. no. They're just different versions of different songs. I think. I think. Let's get butt naked and fuck was me honest. That record was me making fun of love songs. You know, I think LL was making love songs, and I was like. People were like, we ain't gonna make a love song. I was like, my version of a love song is let's get butt naked and fuck. I think that was my joke. I think the original way was that song was supposed to start off with me like on some slow jam shit. And I was, and I, I was gonna say, I got a question. And the girl goes, what? And I go, can we just get butt naked and fuck? It's really funny. It's all funny bullshit. I mean, me, myself, I like having fun. I like keeping it raw though. It's, all, it's just very important to me. Because, I, like I said, I never want to pigeonhole myself into what records I can and can't make. You know, I, I think also even Public Enemy did that. Public Enemy uh, had flavor as a, a little relief because without flavor, Public Enemy so hard and so aggressive that not too many people could handle it. But one thing I wanted to get that I think is important too is. Uh as you've done throughout your whole career, but like the lethal weapon being the mind. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I think, a lot of the criticism that people that didn't understand gangster rap or what was being said, they didn't understand why it was important or the intelligence or where it was coming from. Well, you know, at the end of the day, when you get gangster rap or me, NWA, anybody, people say, what's gangster? I say, really, I don't back up well. Uh, I think you got to have a little gangster in you to not get fucked over the way this world is. When I got in the record business, I realized that they don't call themselves gangsters, but they'll fuck you over way quicker. You know, they're cold. They, 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 they. So I, I also understood that the smarter I am, the more powerful I was to deal with this particular enemy. And so that's where you get your lethal weapons, your mind. It's like I started to think, and I'm like, well, 
Charles Manson is in prison and he's never gonna get out, but he's never killed anybody, but he's scared, people are scared shitless of him. Hitler probably never pulled a trigger. So who's really more dangerous? Like the people that do the killing or the people that move the killers? And the answer is the people that move the killers. So a lot of these, a lot of these songs I wouldn't have been able to write on my first album. These are things that I learned as, as things start to happen and my, my game started developing. People double-crossed me and different things happened. And one thing about the music industry, it'll bring you into a new realization of your life and also money. You'll just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you become different. For, for great good reasons. I mean, back in the day, I might have let my kid walk into the house with 20 people, but now I'm like, yo, you gotta stay on your toes. You know, these kids will double back on you, you know, and it's happened, so I know. But uh, I've always tried to explain to people, you know, that's why I've never been, you know, I'm not, I don't smoke weed, I don't get high, I don't drink. And that, to me, was a form of gangster because everybody else did it, so I'm not gonna do it. And if you think I should make me do it, I have no tattoos. So that, my, my tattoo is no tattoo. And that's, and, and that's why I think people respect me. I think people go, one thing we know about Ice, Ice is gonna do what the fuck he wants to do, regardless of how we feel about it. And to me, that's gangster. So you can, I like, I redefine hustler. You know, people thought hustling was breaking the law. No, hustling is just getting up and getting your job done, whatever it might be. You know, when, when the coach tells you to hustle, he means run some extra laps on that bleacher, you know? So we all are hustling. Some of us aren't. Some people are lazy. You know, like I say, you ain't hustling unless you're catching a sweat. Uh, real top, top hustlers are on point too. What time y'all say you're gonna get here? Four o'clock, you hit the dot. That's, and other hustlers know that. They be like, okay, I know Soren. He about it, he about it, he, he's on point. And they respect that. They respect your hustle. And some people claim they're hustlers. You're like, you ain't, ain't no hustle about you. You are a big, lazy piece of shit. You, you never, you gotta be on it out here. Because at the end of the day, you're playing against other hustlers. And everybody's moving for position, so. I've, I, I've spent my life trying to exchange the information almost as quick as I get it back to the people. I mean, why do I do it? I don't know. Maybe I just got a good heart. <laughs> and then how does, uh, with your two probably most famous roles with SVU and, and New Jack City, how does portraying a police officer with this backdrop, how does that? Ooh, it's just acting, you know, and, and playing a cop, it's just acting. And the thing of it is, is that I was scared when I first played a cop in New Jack City. I, I had an album out called Original Gangster, and I'm playing a cop. I really didn't know how the audience would receive it, but the audience is far more intelligent than you give them credit for. And they're like, that's acting. And they just, no one had a problem with it. Of course, a few suckers always have a comment here and there, but the real people, and then it's funny, people ask me, will you play the cop? I'm like, well, try this. Every rapper that's ever acted has played a cop. Dr. Dre, uh, Tupac, 
Everybody's played cops. So it's kind of like if you're going to act and you're going to limit yourself to roles, you're very stupid. Now, as far as acting goes, playing a cop and a gangster is the exact same acting. It's the exact same acting. It's like you both have an attitude. You both have a gun. You both want answers, and there'll be a consequence. So when I'm sitting on Law and & Order and I'm doing an interrogation, in my brain, I might not even be thinking I'm a cop. I'm thinking, like, this fool better tell me what I want to know. In the same way I might be dealing with some street shit. So it's no different. It's no different. Um, I think as an actor, after a while, you get tired of playing one role. I've been playing Law & Order for 17 years. But I want to get the, the record of 20 episodes, 21 seasons. But after that, there'll be plenty of time for me to play the old gangster in the wheelchair talking shit, you know, if that's what I want to do. I'm ready to do a comedy, though. I haven't done nothing. I'm a funny motherfucker, though. But I haven't got a chance to do nothing funny. I wouldn't mind doing a horror movie. I mean, that's the part of acting. The difference with, with rapping is you kind of... well. Even in my rapping, I, I try to hit other characters or other people in it. But with acting, you actually get to be other people. And that's what, why certain actors get burnt out. They're like, I wanna, I'm tired of playing this particular character. I want to play somebody else. So, Well, that's something, though, that you did uh, throughout your records where you would play a woman, you would play a pimp, you would have all the different voices. Obviously, Slick Rick and yeah. Payne were more renowned for it, but yeah. you also did it a lot. It's How and why did you do that? It's fun. It's fun. It's it's just another form of storytelling. Uh, it, it, you know, and one of my, in power, I say, uh, I'm living large as possible. Posse's unstoppable. Style, topical. Vividly optical. Listen, you'll see them. Sometimes I'll be them. So, that's me explaining my style, like I'm, it's topical, it's optical, and sometimes I'll actually be the characters. So it's just a way of creating art, and it's fun to me. It's, um, Chuck D said, Ice, if you're not having fun, you shouldn't be doing this. But I'm an album artist. The one thing I can say is I don't really make singles. I make albums. Well, I make packs of records, like 10s and 12s or 20 at a time. And, when you do that, you have to try to hit the target from different angles or it'll become boring. I mean, I've listened to people's records, you know, that I really love, but it, after a while it becomes monotonous because track three is so close to track two, which is so close to track five, and the topics don't vary enough. And, you know, how many times can I say I'm in the club? How many times can I say, you know, my, my jewelry or how many bitches I bought, how many? So you have to hit it from another angle and sometimes using other characters. And it's one thing I, I, I still have a plan to do a hip hop, not an opera, but kind of like Hamilton, but almost like a cross between Hustler's Convention, uh, but doing with, with like a play but done over funky beats that goes through with using other rappers and other voices and stuff, which would be something that would just be cool to listen to, but tell a story and then maybe animate it or act it out, you know. It, you have to come up with different. Chuck says, 
Ice is the only person he knows that does things that totally jeopardizes his career to stay awake. So I'm always looking for something new because I'm not passionate about repeating things. I have to want to do something new and 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 that's where the inspiration and the passion comes from to do good work. You know, I I could go in the studio tonight, but I, I, I'm not gonna say the record's gonna be dope, you know, but if I feel it, sometimes I'm just like, man, we gotta go, we gotta go now, 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 and you're gonna make that banger, you know? So then what today, what does gangster rap mean today? Like the stuff that's being made now? I don't call it gangster rap. I think, uh, to me, the last gangster rapper was 50 Cent. Because he basically, you know, embodied that image, you know, that I don't give a fuck. 50 Cent had you really believing you didn't want to fuck with him. He, you know, I heard 50 Cent when he's beefing with Fat Joe and he was like, Fat Joe, I'm right down the street. It's real hard to find a nigga when you know he got a gun, ain't it? You know, so I was like, okay. But I think 50 was the last one who did it that I believed. Uh, I think now the new trap rappers, you know, they've convinced me they can get high. They convinced me maybe that they can sell a little drugs and stuff, but they don't, I'm not, they don't scare me. I think a real gangster rapper has to scare you a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't think there's no new, new people that do it. Uh. You know, well, you got Kendrick who keeps a nice little hood edge on his shit, you know, so you know he's from Compton, you know he's from the hood and all that and stuff. Uh, and when I say 50 Cent, I also put game in that because 50, he, game was part of G Unit. But once that, let, that movement happened, I don't know. I mean, they do the drill rap out of, out of Chicago and stuff like that with the youngsters and stuff, but... There's not, I don't know. I don't know. This is for me, you know. So, like, are you familiar with, like, with YG, Vince Staples, G. Carrico? Yeah, they cool. I mean, YG's cool. YG is actually Vince's, my, my guitar player's nephew. But, you know, it's just not, I, 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 it's not that he's not threatening. It's just that it's, it's not new. I think we scared the world so quickly but then once Eminem did it, they were like, okay. And then it, it, now people are kind of conditioned to it. You know, it's not like when Cube came out and said, you know, you know, crazy motherfucking name. People are like, what the fuck? Who are these motherfuckers? You know, like, yo, it was, it, now everybody's like, okay, cool. Y'all gonna crip walk and dance and shit, you know, but it's not as threatening uh, now. You know who the last real gangster rapper was? Really, it was Bobby Smurder. But that's when keeping it real goes wrong. You dig? The, them GS9 boys. And you know what? When I saw them and I seen them, I said, these little niggas is probably the business. These little niggas look wild like that. And, you know, but they were bar for bar snitching on themselves. So, you know, there's a time for everything. And, uh, I think gangster rap was needed 
to really hit America across the face with hip hop and have no holes bar, address subjects and let motherfuckers know that we not to be fucked with. Uh, I think that every artist nowadays needs a little gangster in him, but I don't think it's necessary or it's as threatening as it ever was. You know, it's, the world's changed too. This new generation really isn't selling crack and, and, and out there running wild like we were anyway. That was an era. You know, you, 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 you know LA. It's not as crazy as it was. So it's kind of like if they were to, 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 to gangster rap now, it's kind of be an illusion. You know, I wear the lowriders. I don't even see them no more, you know. So it was a, it was a, kind of like rapping about the wild, wild west, you know, I mean, during the wild, wild west, yeah, Don Dillon, not, I mean, uh, uh, the motherfucking, you know, Cole Younger and Billy the Kid and all them was out there shooting, but here we are in the west, but it's just not the same, so you can't rap about them because times have changed, so that era has moved, we're, you know, we're not in the 80s, 90s no more, we're in the 2000s and the kids are, they dress different. <laughs> they dress different. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Unique Access with Soren Baker. I appreciate your guys' support. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and however you guys checked out this episode of Unique Access with Soren Baker. Also, if you haven't already, please pick up the copies of my two most recent books, The History of Gangster Rap and The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness with Gucci Man. You can find both of those books on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at the independent bookstore near you. And of course, you could also check them out at your library. And if any of those places don't have them, please request them. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening to Unique Access with Soren Baker, however you listen to us. And please subscribe so we get into your feed. Hit us with that like and hit us with the five stars, 10 stars, 100 stars, whatever's the highest they got on this platform. But we appreciate your guys' support and look forward to you checking us out on the next episode.